0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. If you'd open your Bibles, the scripture today is from Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines.
1: Let's pray together. So, Lord, we thank you for so much grace this morning already grace in singing so many truths that we want to we want to believe more we want to rejoice in more grace to see such sweet testimonies of your grace in others lives and now lord we're praying for grace from your word and that you would show us through this story from so long ago this historical story that really happened, Lord, that You'd show us what You want us to see from it and that You would encourage us and exhort us and comfort us and convict us through this Word. So come now through Your Word and by Your Spirit and shape Your people and save people from their sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when when the Bible talks about the word hope, uh, it's not using it in the way that we often use the word hope in our English vocabulary. Right, so here, here's how we use it in English. We say things like, we hope the weather is nice for that birthday party or that wedding, right? Every, every bride with a summer wedding is hoping right, for that perfect day. Or we say that we hope, we hope the test results come back okay. As we're in that waiting room, we're hoping in something, Or we say, we hope those investments do well. As you watch the stock market and hit refresh to see what's going on from morning to afternoon. Or we hope the pandemic or its restrictions end. Or we hope a certain candidate gets elected. In other words, we're, we're kind of just saying, man, we, we hope things work out the way that would make life better or Easier for us. And that, that's not wrong, but it, it's not the way that hope works in the Bible. And in fact, we've had the rug pulled out from under us for that kind of hope over these last two years as a church in some ways, as a, as a nation in some ways. And I think that's a really good thing for our faith, that, that that kind of hope rug has been pulled out from under us. But ask yourself this question. Uh, what if you knew the end of the story like what if you knew the the very end of the story what if you could see into the future about how it all ends what if you knew the one who wrote the story right you you've watched thrillers before. You've watched shows that entertain you, and there's all this kind of what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen on Stranger Things next, right? What's going to happen in whatever your show that you like is best, right? And, but when you watch it the second or third time, a little bit of that angst, right? A little bit of that, that uh, (laughs) is not there anymore because you know the end of the story. Well, when the Bible talks about our living hope that we're to set our hope fully on, 1 Peter 1, it's not talking about something as uncertain as weather, or health, or pandemics, or politics. It's talking about trusting in the certain reality that God sent His Son to live the perfect life we couldn't live. Because like we heard this morning, none of us are perfect. To die the death we deserve to die to save us from our sins. And then His coming back soon after He rose from the dead to make all things new and reign forever with His people in His perfect place. That is certain. That kind of hope is certain because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But, (laughs) but, Right, That's that certain objective truth. But if you're like me, while that hope is certain and unshifting, my trust in it sometimes isn't. My my faith in it sometimes wavers. Listen to how Romans 15, 13 talks about our shifting experience of hope. And listen to how Paul prays for these people that he loves. Here's what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and joy And peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In other words, Paul's acknowledging your hope does this. Even though objectively it's like this, your hope does this. And so we see here that our hope is connected to our faith. And we've seen in Genesis that though faith is real... Abraham's faith is real. Sarah's faith is real. It's very, very imperfect. And God is always refining it. So here's a prayer from Paul that the God of certain resurrection, eternal hope, would fill their faith with two things that their hope could abound. What, what two things do our faith need to be filled with so that our hope can abound? He says, Joy and peace. In other words, what we need day by day, what we need today is God to reorient our hearts of faith to enjoy His promises to us and to give us a peace that they're actually true. To enjoy them and to give us peace that they're actually true. And here's why. If you feel unsettled about God's promises or commitment to you, not a peace about them, it's really hard to abound in hope if you feel unsettled. Or, if your deepest joy is found in something other than the trust in the God who keeps His promises, like if your joy is wrapped up in anything, like your work, or your finances, or your family, or your health, like all good things, but if your hope is wrapped up in any of those things, man, it is fragile. Man, is it shifting. So let me give you my working definition of true hope from our passage this morning, just as I've thought about it this week here's what I think is at the bottom of true hope in the the heart of faith true hope is joining God in His joy in keeping His promises now and forever So, so true hope is the heart of faith Joining God's passion and joining God's joy in keeping his promises now and forever. In other words, your heart of faith has to say, I believe that my God loves himself and his glory and loves me so much that he actually takes joy, delights in keeping his promises. Like You have to believe that God loves to keep his promises. Otherwise, you're just going to be going, but what about when I mess up? What about when I see in the world? Right? Your heart has to join in His joy in keeping His promises. So here's what Paul is really asking for in Romans 15. God, would you help your people join you by faith in your joy of keeping your promises? Would you help them enjoy them because they know they're true and they trust you? Help them be settled in them, have peace in them, Because they've seen your faithfulness and know that you're not going to stop now. Help them join you in your joy that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus so that no matter what is happening now, circumstances and health and struggles, God is there keeping His promises, working His purposes and will surely be with us to the end to bring us into His presence. So the anecdote for our fear... And the anecdote for our frustration, the anecdote for our lack of hope is not actually changed circumstances or better news. The anecdote is uh, in the deepest places in our hearts, we are anchored in joining God in His joy and keeping all of His promises now and forever. And I hope by the end of the sermon, you'll see that that's really good news. <laughs> because if our, if our joy, if our hope was resting on better circumstances or better news, those things would just always be a phone call away, a symptom away, a broken relationship away, a firing from our job away. Right? They'd just always be up for grabs. But if they are really all depend on God and us joining Him in His joy, then they're unstoppable and unshakable, our hope can be. All right, point number one. Let's dive in here. And we're going to get to see here how God just works in a variety of circumstances this morning to just remind his people of his goodness and help them join him in his joy in keeping his promises. So sometimes, like in verses 1 to 8, we see promises savored. This joy and peace comes a bit easier. Man, I think that's on purpose. Like sometimes as reformed folks who... Love God and we know God's with us in suffering, like we just want to always be a little bit miserable. Right? We just don't wanna enjoy any moments to the full. But here in verses one to eight, we see that there's a season of seeing God keep his promises so clearly to them that they actually stop for a moment and just enjoy him. Just take him all in. So that's what's happening in verses one to eight here. Kids, it's it's like this. Have you ever really looked forward to something? Yeah, I can remember the first time we, we drove our family all the way to Florida, right? And we had described the ocean to Iris, and we had told her about it. Right? Stone was still pretty little. He was mainly into eating sand and stuff at that point. But right, we had told them all about this, and then we got there. And she just took it all in, right? She's just running and leaping and taking it all. And she's taking in this thing she's heard about and looked forward to. Right? I still have the, the picture of her leaping around on the beach on my phone because I just want to remember how good that moment was. And that's what verses 1-8 to eight are like. Something like that, only infinitely better. Look at verses 1-2 to two with me. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God keeps his promise here of an offspring that we've been waiting for. And now we know this will ultimately lead to Jesus as the offspring that blesses all the nations with salvation in him. The promise is alive and well. But remember, for a while it was not looking great. (laughs) Abraham is 100 years old at this point. Sarah is 90 years old. They had made a mess with Hagar earlier, and that's going to come back up in this chapter. Abraham had put all of this in jeopardy by saying Sarah was his sister and having Pharaoh take her into his house. There were some natural factors and some really foolish decisions that made this moment seem really unlikely, which is why, at one point or another, in each of the last few chapters, both Abraham and Sarah had laughed under their breath about God keeping this promise. But notice the emphasis here in verses 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah bore Abraham a son at the time which God had spoken to him. Who's the main actor in this story? Right, Moses is going out of his way to make it clear. Who's the main actor? God. God made this promise of redemption. God visited her as He had said. God did to her as He had promised. God had spoken a time and God fulfilled it. God will keep them and keep His promise despite old age and despite sinful decisions and doubt that flowed from their imperfect faith. And this is really good news for the church. This is really good news for the church. If you're sitting here today and you're like, man, my faith is imperfect. I have fears, and I have doubts, and I have weariness, and I have suffering. You can't believe, and I have secret, ugly areas of sin that I need to address, and I haven't. It's not up to you. And that's really good news, right? God has made a promise that all those who trust in Jesus, that He'll pay for your sins. He'll cover your shame. God has made a promise to finish the work he started in you and to get you all the way home. Despite your up-and-down faith and and up-and-down hope, you can't mess up God's plans for you. You can't mess up God's plans for yourself. You can't mess up God's plans for your friends. You can't mess up God's plans for your kids. You can't mess up God's plans for anything because God makes the plans. And God fulfills the plans. And God is the main actor in the story. God keeps his promises. God completes his purposes. And God wants you, despite your broken faith, take this in for a moment, God wants you, despite your broken faith, to enjoy when his promises come to you so much that you can see them so clearly so that your faith would be strengthened. So even though your faith is all messy and all broken and all up and down moments of joy Moments of brokenness moments of wisdom moments of foolishness God's keeping his promise to you through Jesus and he wants you when you see that to go. He's so good He doesn't want you to sit back and just go. I'm so bad He wants you to enjoy his goodness and his promises. Listen to verses uh, three to seven These verses are just like they just read like a celebration So Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And he circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his own age. Right, so they had laughed at God and I've kept saying it, but God always has the last laugh. Right? He, he does. And he wants them now to join him in the joyful laughter of keeping his promises. Right? Abraham says, here he is, my son's here. I'm going to go obey God. I'm going to get him circumcised. He's going to be a part of this covenant people. Now Sarah is sitting there reflecting on God keeping his promises, granting her laughter Probably granting the the surprised, happy laughter of all those who heard about the child dedication with the 100-year-old dad and the 90-year-old mom, right? Can you imagine, come, Isaac's here, Right? Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. They named him Laughter, right? Let's go laugh together with them, Abraham and Sarah, looking at their son who keeps the hope of God's promise to bless all the nations alive. He's gonna do it. He's gonna bless all the nations. Abraham and Sarah looking at their son, who's literally named Laughter, and, and laughing at the way God has provided. Abraham and Sarah looking at their son who's come after 25 years of wandering and barrenness and danger and doubt and famine. You can imagine the moment of the camp around them hearing the news with great joy. And right, just a a sigh of relief. It actually happened. God actually did it. Isaac is actually here. At the end of his weaning, Abraham throws a feast and they enjoy God's goodness. I want to encourage you to be people that have parties (laughs) where you get together with other believers and you celebrate the goodness of God. God. Where you eat good food and you sit around big fires and you sit around and talk about how good God has been. Get a, a group of people in your life that just love to sit around and celebrate God's goodness to mark it on your soul these moments of life where He's been so good. Celebrate. It's worth it. Praise Him. Dance. Sing. Eat good food. Do whatever it is that you do to celebrate. Say, God has been good. It's okay for us to take it in this moment. I think healthy churches are places where people celebrate God's goodness with great joy and great expression. And for a moment here in the story, and we should take this in too because it's not all very pretty in Genesis. <laughs> for a moment here, all is right. And all is well. Right? You get the sense like it's, it's all going to be okay And God wants us to take in these moments where we see His pure, full blessing and goodness and grace and store them up in our hearts to remind us that nothing can stop God from keeping His promises, not even our weak faith, not even our fledgling faith. And He invites us in these moments to join Him in enjoying His promise-keeping and settle our hearts in His goodness that we might abound with settled hope as we feast in His name. Point number one, the promises have come. Point number two, protection is sustained. Well, uh, the happy kumbaya moment lasts for like a moment or two. Because at the feast, things take this sad turn. If you're looking at the story Isaac, so at the end of your weaning in tradition, you're probably about three years old at this point in those times. Which makes Ishmael about 16 years old. And verse 9 says this But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now, some people say that this laughing was really just laughing, but most think that somehow Ishmael was mocking the whole feast and, and probably Isaac himself. We do have evidence in the New Testament that Ishmael was not a happy big brother. So Galatians four twenty nine is using this story as kind of a, an allegory, and it says this in verse twenty nine. It says, "Just at, just as at that time, the time in our story, he who was born according to the flesh—that's Ishmael—persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now. So we know that somehow Ishmael wasn't a happy-go-lucky, affectionate." kind-hearted big brother but persecuted Isaac. Now why would Ishmael mock and persecute? We could guess. We've got some clues in the story, right? Perhaps jealousy, right? Where was, where was my feast? Right, I got, I got sent out to the desert. What's in it for me? I've, I've been here for 13, 16 years. Perhaps it was frustration about how mom was treated. You can imagine a young boy growing up, he's he's 16 now, and going, man, you guys treat my mom like dirt. Treat us like dirt. So maybe jealousy, maybe frustration, we don't know. But it's likely Sarah sees something ugly in this mocking and her natural mama bear instincts kick in, right? right? You don't pick on Sarah's kid at the playground, apparently. And so... Here's this picture now of Sarah. I mean, I mean, we've got we, just gotta, we have to think about just the, the fickleness of our hearts. In that 25 years of promises and purposes have just come true. I mean, I mean, she ha- she's got her little guy. Right? She's got him, and she sees Ishmael laughing, mocking, and right away she goes, "Time to take things into my own hands. Time to take things into my own hands." So the result of messy consequences of sin and jealousy and bitterness and fear and frustration are right on display here. But we should remember two big promises because these promises have been made clear over and over again. First big promise, God has made it clear he's going to care for Isaac and bless the nations through him, not up for grabs because of Ishmael's mocking or laughing. Second big promise, God has already made clear he's going to care for Ishmael and make a great nation of him. And it's clear here, neither Sarah nor Ishmael is joining God in his joy and keeping his promises in this moment, right? Instead, they've allowed their own own anger, their own agendas, their own fear, their own bitterness, their own desires come before joining God in his joy and keeping his promises, right? We can understand where Ishmael's coming from, but Ishmael could have been trusting God, God's been for me, If God's for me, who can be against me? He's cared for me. He's made me promise. So Ishmael could have been a happy, loving, nurturing big brother who rested in joining God in these promises. Could have been, but wasn't. Sarah could have been a happy, at-peace mom knowing Ishmael could not stop God's promises. That's just not where they are in this moment. (laughs) It's not where they are after this Miracle birth. And so Sarah takes things into her own hands. Verse 10, she asks Abraham to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. And like we expect, it makes Abraham sad because Ishmael is his son. It greatly displeases him. And then God shows up, as he often does for Abraham in these moments of testing, and he reminds him of his promises. And he tells him, yes, through Isaac your offspring will be named and bless the nations remember I've already said I'm going to make Ishmael a great nation as well he's going to be okay Ishmael's going to be okay not because you can protect him but because I can it's okay do what Sarah says I've got Isaac I've got Ishmael I've got my plans go ahead it's going to be okay now we don't know exactly why God has him do this particular thing but he does God's always doing a million things and we can see maybe one or two of them at the time. and So God has His purposes and His plans. One of them probably being preserving this particular line of promise leading to Jesus. So after God shows up and reminds him of these promises and tells him what to do, in verse 14, Abraham supplies them with food and water and in faith sends them out. I think this is an act of faith. I think this is the first time actually Abraham gives up one of his sons he says, okay, i got to trust God with you. I, I can't protect you. In verses 15 to 16, we have this horribly sad scene. They've been wandering, Hagar and Ishmael, and the water and food is gone. And they're in such a desperate need for nourishment that it seems like death is very close. And so Hagar sets Ishmael under a bush she walks away so she doesn't have to see him die and then she cries which makes all the sense in the world right because this this has gone really bad really quickly do you all remember what ishmael's name means a few chapters ago it means god hears or god will hear and the next line in verse 17 says and god heard the voice of the boy Right, in, in these names are the promises, if you keep saying that. Here's Ishmael under a tree, mom's crying out, boy's crying out, and it says, God heard, just like the name says. Now remember, Ishmael had persecuted his little brother. He'd forgotten God's promises to him, and he certainly was not happy for God's promises to bless the nations through the, through the line of his little brother. But God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises here to Ishmael. In verses 17 to 18, God speaks to Hagar. He tenderly tells her that he's heard the voice of the boy. He tenderly reminds her of the promise that he'll make Ishmael into a great nation. And then God gives them a well of water to save them in verse 19. Shows up, speaks tenderly, gives them all they need. And finally, in verses 20 to 21, we see that the boy grew up. God was with him. That's not a small statement. And he becomes an expert hunter, and he's married. In other words, God keeps his promises. Ishmael grows up. God is with him, and he fulfills all he had said to him. We have a God who hears us and protects us until his promises are completed. He just does. That's what he does. It's who he is. We have a God who tenderly meets us in our most desperate moments to protect us remind us of his promises and provide what we need to get to the end. How many times, I should have counted, how many times though has there been moments of doubt and testing and fear and God shows up and what does he do? He just says, remember what I said? Remember what I said? One of the the commands in the New Testament that shows up over and over and over again is just remember. (laughs) Just remember who I am and what I've said. He gives us what we need to get to the end. This is true of the broken, mocking Ishmael here. How much more true for those who have trusted in the person of Jesus. Kids, let me try to explain to you what God's like. You've probably had some bad days uh, where you were sinful and confused, maybe frustrated your brothers or sisters a little bit. But if you have good parents, if you have good parents, on your worst days, they still fed, for you, fed you and cared for you and loved you and walked with you. Now someone here didn't have good parents and I recognize all the brokenness that comes with that. But God is a good parent. God is a good father. God is a perfect parent who always hears us and protects us and gives us what we need. So two quick lessons from this part of the story. Lesson number one. The New Testament would have us see this as an allegory in Galatians 4, which means it's a story with a lesson, a story with a a meaning. And the lesson is that as those who have the promise of the Spirit, those in Christ and not of the flesh, we're to enjoy and live in the freedom of Christ while we at the same time expect persecution from those who don't yet have that freedom. And so the, the freedom we have in Christ is an unshakable freedom because it says to us, There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing else that is in you that you can do to earn your freedom, to earn your salvation in Christ. You are free. (laughs) You're totally free. The best, deepest freedom in the world. And at the same time, it says, and those who haven't yet experienced that, they're going to mock you and they're going to persecute you because they don't get it, but they can't take your freedom. So, So just expect it and enjoy your freedom in Christ. The second lesson, is if you're in a season of wandering, and if some of it is the result of your own imperfect faith, I just want to encourage you in those moments to make your default response to cry out to the Lord. There are are so many Christians who believe in their heart of hearts, so they never say this out loud. They believe when I'm broken and I'm miserable and I'm hurting and I'm sinning and I've made a mess of things, what I need to do is figure out at least enough of it that I can kind of explain it and justify it make it sound better or show that I've made progress and then I can go to other believers or to God. And this would just say, man, when you've made a mess of thing and everything's broken, the first thing you do <laughs> is cry out to the Lord on the basis of His promises. Cry out to the Lord on the basis of His mercy. He will hear you because of Jesus. He will provide what you need to keep His promises to you because of Jesus. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus and you've lived your life mocking God and distant from God and far off from God... He's not as far off as you would think. He's not as far away as you would think. Cry out to Him now to forgive your sins and to give you the living water your parched soul has been wandering around looking for. Okay, point three, provision secured. So let's see if you've been following along in Genesis. God has promised a people and a what? Someone. Someone. Anyone place. Someone said it. Thank you. God has promised a people and a place to enjoy His presence. Well, here they are sojourning in the land of Canaan, that ultimate place. So I'm going to read verse 22 and then verses 33 to 34 to kind of give you the key parts and I'll summarize in between. So look at verse 22 with me. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Down to verse 33. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there in the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So here's what's going on. The king of the Philistines and his commander show up after all this has happened. And the first thing they say what may be said of us, right? We see God is with you, right? That's not because Abraham's knocked it out of the park, right? You remember the last story with Abimelech. It was not a good look for Abraham, right? Giving his, his wife away to him. But what he sees and what God has done is that he has worked his power in such a way that he has made it clear that he's in control. He's in control and he's with Abraham. He has worked in Abraham's life To get glory for his own power and promise keeping. And because they know this, they want peace with Abraham. So they come to make a treaty of ongoing peace. In other words, your God is big, your God is powerful, your God is with you. So yeah, you can live here, that's great. Promise to be nice, right? I mean, that's what's going on here because they see how big and how powerful God is. You treat us well, we treat you well, can we make a deal For basically all of eternity. That's what he says. For my posterity, your posterity, right? It's always going to be good. And Abraham says, deal. Well, except for one thing, right? There's these guys, and they took a well that was mine, and they said it was yours, and that's not so great for the whole peace thing, right? And so (laughs) Abimelech right away is, is called to account. Does he really care about this? And he says, I didn't know that. Right? I didn't know that, and if I would have known that, I, I respect your God, and I would have taken care of that. So Abraham brings out lambs as a gift and a witness that he dug this well and as a sign of the covenant they're making together. And Abraham names the place the well of the oath, and he plants a tree, likely as a sign of permanence and fruitfulness. Right? There's a covenant now. God's given us a place. So I'm going to go ahead and plant a tree. And I'm going to watch this tree grow and watch God bear fruit in this place, in this foreign land that will one day be our place. And he calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, who has made promises from eternity past into eternity future through this line of Abram. So God has promised a people and a place to enjoy his presence He's fulfilled the promise of an offspring in this chapter. Now he's given Abraham favor to have a place for this people to enjoy his presence. Abraham was like us a sojourner dwelling in a land that was not yet his home. A sojourner is trying to walk with God in a place that was not yet his home, looking for the sure promised place to come. And I've said it a lot to all of you. I'm going to keep saying it again. This isn't home. And this isn't home. We're not home yet. And so we're going to just keep feeling these tests and feeling these interactions that make, make us remember this is not our home while we wait for this home. That's, that's what Abraham's doing here. But for now, like God is with us, God was with him in this place that was not his home. God cared for him. God kept his promises. God promised to be with him. And now for us, because of Jesus, God is with us. God has cared for us. God has kept His promises to us and God promises to be with us in this place, in the joys and the sorrows, in the moments of great faith, in the moments of shaky faith, in the moments of highest satisfaction, in the moments of deepest suffering, in the moments of sweet obedience, in the moments of sad obedience, until the day we are with Him in that final place where there really, really, really will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. He's going to be with us until then. And not only is He with us, but He's sovereignly using all these things, the feasting and the fasting, the joys and the sorrows, the obedience and the disobedience, the moments of great faith, the moments of great fear. He's using all of it in His sovereign purposes to strengthen our faith so that it will make it to the end. And my prayer is that you wouldn't run away from those things. You wouldn't run away from the the trials or numb the fears with Netflix or run to some other addiction instead of dealing with all the pain and all the hurt, but instead you would would lean into what God is sovereignly doing to refine you, refine off all those rough edges of your faith, to, to shave them off, to refresh you in Jesus, to be refreshed in a hope that's secure and lasting, and then to be redeployed to go tell other people about how good it is to trust in Jesus and how much better Jesus is than every other thing in the whole world. So why don't you bow your heads and I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll come to the table together. So Lord, we're going to come now and we're going to eat and drink with you. And we're going to come as a people who have been saved by your grace and mercy and yet who... Who often stumble, who who often get caught up in other places of joy and other places of hope that make us believe that somehow your promises have fallen because these other things have failed. So, God, we confess our sins now to you, Lord. We confess the places where we're not trusting you, the places where we're running to other addictions, other idols, other people, other security finances, health, family, politics, Lord, any of these things that can so easily get a place in our heart that's above you practically, even if we know better. Lord, would you just continue to set our hope on Jesus, the one who came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose again to conquer death, and is coming soon to make all things new. Lord, in this moment, set us free to abound in hope because we join You in Your promise-keeping, Your joy in Your promise-keeping, that, Lord, our hearts would be settled and at peace in Your promise-keeping, that we would know that we have the God who wrote the story so we know the end of the story, and therefore we can hope in You no matter what comes. So work in Your people by the power of Your Spirit. Now I pray in Jesus' name, amen.